and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. everybody welcome to another episode of the remnant call i am your host brother frank and glad to have you uh here with us and i'll tell you last week we had a phenomenal uh response to the program on the second exodus uh it was a replay from a program that happened oh in the end of 2017 uh, i gave a little intro about my journey uh into coming to see the second exodus in the word of God and how people came against it and then how the Lord opened my mind showing me uh, the truth that was in the word uh, even against what a scholar was telling me uh, and it was right there when I saw it but I, I needed God to help me see it um, with my own eyes and because uh, folks the truth is if so if you're wrong on something and someone corrects you well if they're right, you want to get right yourself. You don't want to just keep believing something just because that's what's comfortable. And so if you didn't get to hear last week's episode, you've got to go back and listen to it. I had so many people respond telling me they were able to connect the dots. They see it now. They were excited. Folks, God has a plan. He has another exodus that's coming that is so powerful. They'll no longer say the Lord liveth which brought up the children out of the land of Israel. They're not going to talk about the Exodus anymore, the first one. They're going to talk about what happens at the end of time in the great Exodus, folks. And it may be that I might meet some of you one day on the, on the King's Highway. Well, if you begin to search into all of that, you'll find out just what we're talking about. And so tonight I have a special guest I'm going to bring in here, Brother Benjamin, and uh, he's got, we're going to do a Connect the Dots program, and I've had some people ask, well, you know, Brother Frank, um, I had a particular friend telling me, how does this relate to this, and that, and, and this maybe relate to that, and see, the, this, the 70 weeks of Babylon, which we're going to talk about tonight, started back at the end of 2017, so since then, we've really come a long way, and so we're going to have Brother Benjamin on tonight. Uh, to kind of connect the dots. And I'm going to bring him on right now as we begin to get the show ready. And uh, we're going to have some prayer time, and then we're going to get started. So, Benjamin, are you here with us? Well, hey, good evening, Frank. Amen. Well, thank you, brother, for for joining us. And I'll tell you, last week was just, uh, man, I just had so much positive feedback from people on the second exodus. And I think I've only maybe... I don't think I ever did another program, but I think I only ever replayed one other program, and that was C.R. Oliver's uh, program. And I, I think you remember that old the the that man. He's in his 80s and it was so powerful. But then I was like, man, the Second Exodus, wow, it is even more relevant this moment. So praise oh, God for oh, that. Yeah. And, and very excited. And Brother Benjamin, we're going to start with some prayer, but I just wanted to give an update. Um, 
I know you were uh, acutely aware of this. I talked to um, Brother David Murray earlier um, this evening over text and just got an update. Folks, um, for you that know David Murray comes on here frequently, uh, not only like Benjamin, a friend of the show, but family of the show. Um, and his brother, mother, and father all have the coronavirus. And his brother is turned a corner, and he's doing much better now. But now his mother is kind of coming under attack. And so we're going to lift him up tonight in, in a word of prayer and just believe the power of God to rebuke this coronavirus. Um, folks, the devil is attacking. Um, this orchestrated event is affecting so many and it's time to get serious. And Benjamin, I know you too, uh, same thing, have been under attack. And, and I don't want to say that that's a good thing, but, but Benjamin, I know that, that when the enemy comes hard, that means there's something important uh, that you need to share. And, and it's just history. It, that's the way it's always been since I've known you, brother, and on this, especially on this show. And so I'm going to open with a word of prayer tonight. Folks, I just ask that you would join with me in asking the Lord to do something special. Father, in the name above every name, the most powerful name, the name that makes demons tremble, the name of Jesus, Yeshua, the one who died and is now alive again. Lord, we ask that in that powerful name that this show tonight be anointed from on high. Lord, not anointed for us, but anointed for you, Lord that you would be lifted up and in turn you would draw all men and women unto you. Lord, that they would see that the power of God rests in those who want him more than they want this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless Benjamin tonight with the words to speak, Lord. I pray you would break off any foul spirit that would come and try to attack any of the enemy, Lord, that would come upon his property. Lord, to his computers, into his house, anything, Lord, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus and ask, Lord, that you would bind your spirit tight into that home there. Lord, we also pray for Brother David. We thank you for his ministry, his intercession, his um, insight into what it means to know who we are in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cast that coronavirus out of his family's home, that you would lift it off of his mother and his brother and father, Lord, that healing would come down in such a powerful way that people would look and say, only the Spirit of the living God could do something like this. Lord, I pray you would heal miraculously. And we thank you for it. And, and just, Lord, give Brother David the words to continue to speak comfort to his family and to be a minister into his own home. Lord, we thank you for that tonight and ask that you would protect this show and protect my family, Lord, and thank you so much for all these things. We ask them in Jesus' precious, precious name. And, folks, I wanted to say one more thing before Benjamin gets started here. And I, I just, I hesitate to say this because, you know, the Remnick Hall, we never, I never ask for money. But sometimes I just need to say thank you for those who have contributed. I really appreciate it. It doesn't go unnoticed. We try to send a thank you out to everyone. I hesitate mentioning on the air because I don't want someone to think that I'm somehow trying to ask for money. I'm not. I just want to say thank you for those who continue to support. I really appreciate it uh, from the bottom of my heart. But please know this program is about spreading the gospel, not for asking for your money. 
So we thank you for that so much. And so, Benjamin, with that, I want to welcome you back in, brother, and just I appreciate you taking the time to do this program tonight. And we were talking earlier, brother, and I tried to get through that economist. Man, that is mine. I, 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 there's not enough time. There is so much information that's happening right now, and in in what, especially what you share with me. So take us tonight uh, down this journey of the 70 weeks, where we are right now. How does this all tie together, and how close are we? Wow, you know, it's just, well, it's great to be back. It's, um, it's good to be people who respond in prayer now. You know, anytime you hear a prayer need, we should stop what we're doing and pray. Now, these churches that well we're going to write it down, you know it's like what? Well, you know that's a Laodicean deception. You know I mean nothing wrong with having a prayer team and putting things on a prayer list, but you know I'm going to pray for you later. No, I'm going to pray right now. Thank you, Jesus. You know when we come to the Lord and and we're crying out for God's intervention, He doesn't tell you I'll get back to you later. <laughs> the Lord responds right now, and so I really thank you for praying for for Brother David, for his family. And I thank all the, the true intercessors that are listening in because we really are in a time of, well, it is certainly unprecedented. We're witnessing an unprecedented annihilation of our economy, the unprecedented complete shattering of our constitutional rights, the the overreach by state and and, and in these health agencies at the federal level is uh, absolutely outrageous, and you know it's way beyond the anything that's you know appropriate for the true scale of the crisis related to the coronavirus and. You know, there's a ton of disinformation out there. You know, one group uh, believes there there's no virus; it's all a hoax. And there's a virus; it's very contagious, and people with compromised medical conditions can become quite sick and can die. And at the same time, there's no question. A lot of doctors have come forward and said the official statistics are pretty questionable. And so, you know, are we getting the truth from these governmental agencies, these globalist organizations, you know? Is the World Health telling us the truth? Is Bill Gates telling the And where, who made him king anyway? Hey, right? No, same thing. What's up with that? Yeah, where did this, this punk who was a little nerd and was given Microsoft as a, as a toy by his you know, essentially, his well-connected family, a figurehead, if you will. They do the same thing in Russia. The figureheads that run these huge industries and the real power behind all of these institutions is, is an entire organization. But in any event, you know, the the truth is so hard to find right now, Frank. You know, the it's clear there's a virus. It's clear that it is, it appears to be very highly infectious. And, you know, the more deadly the pathogen, the less infectious they are. They're sort of a rule, right? 
they're either really dangerous and then and then they kill almost everybody that gets infected, like Ebola, but you know, pretty hard to transmit them. Or they're really infectious and they don't kill everybody, but they sure make a lot of people sick. And um, and our government has decided that you know, as a result of the need to to respond to this um, pandemic, we you know, it's an appropriate course of action to destroy the American economy, uh, shutter in the Bill of Rights, trash our freedoms. And, you know, we're going to be promised with uh, um, an end to these lockdowns in two weeks. You know, did I say two weeks? Two weeks ago? Well, I meant two more weeks, and it's going to be, you know, Martin Armstrong in that piece I sent you, Frank, you know, he talks about the tyranny two-step where... They'll just keep rolling it back out. I find it interesting, though, that a number of scientific sources have represented that the coronavirus is, in fact, a biological weapon, and that it was clearly manufactured in a laboratory. We can, one can argue over whether it was accidentally or intentionally released. I did hear in the last few days from a close friend working with a colonel in the U.S. Army, a colonel who is active duty, and they're actually working on a book on Bible prophecy for the U.S. military, which I think is awesome. But the colonel confidentially reported that our military has proof that this is a bioweapon. And it's not a secret that inside China and Russia, their official news agencies are reporting that this bioweapon was released by the United States. And so they're raising the political support, the groundswell of, of anger, and the demand for retaliation is a, is a point of justification for what might become a first strike on our country. We, of course, have three carrier battle groups that are now in Sick Bay in distant Pacific locations. And apparently we're very concerned they could all basically be sunk in port by a barrage of uh, missiles, intermediate range missiles. We're so concerned we just moved our B-52s back from Guam to the mainland. Of course, we know Cheyenne Mountain was activated our command and control bunker for to ensure the survival of the U.S. military in the event of a nuclear strike on the country. And President Trump has activated apparently one million men in the U.S. Army Reserves. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but Frank, do you know how many men are in the U.S. Army Reserves or the military reserves? A couple hundred thousand, right? Uh, I don't know about the the whole, but I, I mean, I haven't been in for 20 years, but I, I'm thinking like if everything was together, you brought in everybody, you may have a million, um, but I, I don't know that for fact. Yeah, I think, I think to get and, to a million, and all, yeah, well, and previously active, now discharged, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, under U.S. military law, in the event of war, the, in addition to the ability to draft conscription from the general population and by the way all of the draft boards received letters in the last week telling them get organized 
Make sure all of the staffing positions are filled. Familiarize yourself with the rules of conduct because you may be dealing with a draft in the next month or two. And I was told to get to that million men threshold. They're also sending out letters to guys that were previous military uh, experience and guys that have been permanently discharged that fought in uh, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, of course, you know, if you want to rapidly scale up your military force, you don't draft a bunch of civilians and send them to basic training. You recall the guys that were flying the F-18s over Iraq. You recall the guys that already know their job description, right, Frank? I mean, you're a little yeah. too old probably to get called up. I'm probably a little Praise too old to God, get called I'm, up. I'm past. They can call me up legal. It's done. They can't call me back. So, thank gosh. Uh, they, those rules change any day. They want them to, but uh, how old I'm are you? Old. I'm fat. Huh? You're I'm too fat. fat. <laughs> You'd fail the physical. But in any event. Well, I could um, get in shape, but I don't want to for them. <laughs> <laughs> for me. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, that they called up everybody back in uh, Germany in 1945. But, um, you know, these, these are pretty ominous signs. And the report, maybe you can post a link to uh, Martin Armstrong's economic analysis um, in the notes for the show. And I sent you a bunch of stuff. You might want to post up a bunch of of the links you deem relevant that we can share with the listeners to explain to them. Because, you know, this is outrageous what is really going on right now. And things are happening so fast, and people, you know, the news is not really... You know, <laughs> I mean, the the mainline news is, you know, all they're really talking about is social distancing and the protests and when are they going to reopen the different states. And and I thought we needed 18 million ventilators. You know, what what's up with that? Right? That's over. Yeah. But in any event. Um, statistic, 85% or 88, I think it was, percent of the people that were put on ventilators in New York died. I'm sure they did. Did you hear the report from the emergency room physician in New York who recorded a YouTube video testifying that, in his professional opinion as an emergency room physician, that the patients suffering from the viral pneumonia-type symptoms were actually suffering from a type of altitude sickness where they really were not getting enough oxygen and that the ventilators in the New York medical system were all being programmed to operate with greater pressure. Pressure was permanently damaging lungs and might even be responsible for killing people. And he was saying the ventilators are being programmed incorrectly and they need to be programmed not to deliver higher pressure but higher oxygen content. And I just happened to um, know and, and meet with uh, one of the physicians here in Idaho who's an infectious disease doctor, and he's working with uh, the Kootenai County medical system. Um, there's probably 20 people with the virus that are sitting in the hospital up in Coeur d'Alene that are being treated, and then some of which are being ventilated. And I asked him, you, you hear about this report that they're using the ventilators wrong? And he said, oh, yeah, we know. We're, we're, 
our ventilators are programmed to deliver higher levels of oxygen. <laughs> okay, you guys figure, I wonder if New York has yet to figure it out. And, you know, if not, I sure hope they do. But in any event, this, this is so bizarre. You know, how could a doctor in New York be screaming that, you know, we're, we're not even providing the proper medical procedures? And then a, a medical specialist in Idaho, I mean, look, nobody cares about Idaho, right? I mean, you know, we're the, we're the potato state, actually the gem state, but, you know, we're the last thing anybody thinks of until World War III shows up, and then everybody will be like, how do we get to Idaho? Because this will be the center of the, the recovery of our country. But in any event, it's astonishing. A couple more news items. White House Trade Advisor. China, China created the virus in a lab. Iran announces U.S. warships will be destroyed if they threaten any Iranian vessel. WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks dumps all of their files online. Hey, anybody interested in some late-night reading? You can find the link. Meatpacking plants closing all over the United States, stoking fears of of growing food shortages this summer, mortgage market meltdown, even the wealthiest loan applicants are now being turned down by the banks, U.S. home sales crashing in March, more than any time in history, the housing market's completely dying, then U.S. Treasury Secretary announces most of the American economy should be reopened by the end of summer. Meanwhile, in Europe, unprecedented damage to the European economy has already occurred. You know, there will not be an economy to reopen in summer. And um, so, you know, what a, what a strange time. What is really happening? Well, you know, Frank, yeah, we've been talking for the greater part of two years, perhaps you could call it three, about the fact that the 70-year reign of America Babylon the 70-year reign of mystery Babylon, which was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, would repeat in the case of end-time Babylon, which is America. And, and in that sense, the 70th year of the reign of mystery Babylon would witness the beginning of the judgment. And, well, you know, what is mystery Babylon? What is the mystery? Well, a lot of people, you know, they write me emails, Benjamin, Iraq is Babylon. Okay, look, mystery Babylon is not a geography question. That's not the mystery part, folks. Everybody knows ancient Babylon was located in Iraq. Iraq is not the reigning superpower over the kings of the earth today. And the city of Babylon in Iraq is still lying in ruins and will never be rebuilt. Mystery Babylon is the end-time superpower that is dominated by the Chaldeans, and that's why it's called the land of the Chaldeans. And, of course, the Chaldeans are the deep state. They're the members of the secret societies who, in fact, are all sorcerers, which is what the word Chaldean means. It, it translates professional sorcerer. And so end-time Babylon was a free country that fell under the control of these satanic secret societies. And, and when they first acquired power, nobody really noticed. And, you know, it's hard to condense 
material I've been teaching over years, uh, which I've expressed and explained in how many programs are there, Frank? I mean, from the visit to Jeremiah 29 to the 70-year reign of Babylon, which addresses uh, the 70 years to, I mean, honestly, I don't even know how many, you know, to America at war. There's a ton. And we've we've kind of been unpacking this over time. So, I mean, are there specific questions you want me to touch on, or should I just take my shot at trying to pull it all together? Yeah. Well, the big question is, yeah, is coming back. I think we because it was two years ago when you visited in depth, or at least coming back, you know, giving the back overviews. How does the seventy years of Babylon? What is it, and how does it tie into today? I think that's the big question of those who haven't been listening for, okay. you know, basically two and a half years. Okay. Well, and there's two dimensions to the seventy-year reign of Babylon. Okay. There's the the part that says Israel would be in captivity for 70 years under the reign of Mystery Babylon, or Babylon and the land of the Chaldeans. So there's the, the slavery of Israel prophesied for 70 years. And then there's also a prophecy that says that Babylon itself would conquer and, and take literally dominate all of the nations in the known world at that time. And they would all serve Babylon in, in an economic arrangement that amounted to basically slavery. I mean, you've got to feed the slaves, right? You, you, you can't take everything because the slaves will starve and you won't have a slave population. So, you know, the, the slave arrangement basically puts the slave population back on the, on the feudal system. And all the wealth is extracted by the dominant power, the, the nation that is ruling. And so the first fulfillment and the, and the prophecy itself um, began, um, was, you know, was given to Jeremiah. I guess the first location would be Jeremiah 25, where Jeremiah was told, or Jeremiah prophesied rather, the whole land will become desolate and an astonishment in all these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's Jeremiah 25, 11. So the nations are going to end up in servitude to, to the king of Babylon for 70 years. And it will come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. This is verse 12. And that nation says, Lord, that was fulfilled 2,500 years ago when Cyrus, the king of Media Persia, conquered ancient Babylon in the middle of the night and the media Persian army killed the king of Babylon and when the people woke up on Sunday morning on October 12th in the year 539 and they made their way outside it was over and the media Persian army was there and and literally there were signs put up telling the Babylonian citizens you've now been conquered the media Persian Empire has taken control of the city. Cyrus is the new king. But don't be afraid. Cyrus is going to free all the slaves. He's going to protect you and your property, your house, your business. You're safe. If you have any problems, just you let, you let the media Persian administrators know, and the media Persian army will protect your person and your property. And the Babylonian citizens will... Basically, say, well, well, given that deal, 
we're good. And then everybody just went back to work. And the verse continues in Jeremiah 25:12, And the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Well, ancient Babylon did not become a perpetual desolation. Quite the opposite. The city of Babylon was conquered by Cyrus in 539 B.C. It was under the rule of the Medo-Persian Empire until Greece, under Alexander, conquered Medo-Persia. And then Babylon became a province of Greece. And Greece dominated until the Roman Empire rose up. And Babylon became a tribute of Rome in around the year 230 B.C. The city of Babylon continued trade and commerce center until around the year 250. I don't know that the historical record is perfect, but around the third century of the common era, the year of our Lord, Babylon became abandoned. And the city went into ruin and was never inhabited again. But here, we're told that after the judgment of the land of the Chaldeans, it would become a perpetual desolation. Then in verse 13, the scripture says, and I will bring upon that land all of my words. And this is the Lord talking. And we bless you, Jesus. We totally bless what you're about to do. The Lord is about to bring all of his words, which he's pronounced against Babylon, even everything written in the book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all of the nations. Oh, wait a minute. Now the land of the Chaldeans is going to get the book thrown at it. Literally. God is saying, I'm going to bring every word which Jeremiah prophesied against any nation. And if you go and read through the book carefully, you'll find out there's some prophecies against nations other than Babylon. Well, when it comes time to judge in the land of the Chaldeans, they're going to get hit with everything. That includes Jeremiah 50 and 51, which deals with the judgments upon end-time Babylon, the hindermost of the nations, the last and final superpower, the descendant empire. The reason it's called the daughter of Babylon is it has a mother, and the mother is the queen of England. America is the eagle's wings of Daniel 9, and England is the lion, and so ancient Babylon never fulfilled, the fall of ancient Babylon never fulfilled the prophecies of Jeremiah 50 and 51. It requires the cities to burn like Sodom and Gomorrah. Ancient Babylon didn't burn. I already told you, it continued as a, as a city prospering for approximately 800 years. Okay, that's rounding up. It's more like about 740 or 750. But the point being, when ancient Babylon fell, the city didn't burn. In verse 14, it says, many nations and great kings. Wait a minute. Ancient Babylon was attacked by Media, Persia, under one king, Cyrus. Now we've got many kings, many nations, and they will serve themselves of them also. Okay, a very confusing translation, in my opinion because a lot of people don't even know what that means. What does it mean? For many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also. What does that mean? It should be translated more clearly, for many nations and great kings who are going to attack the land of the Chaldeans, end-time Babylon, will take their citizens into slavery. Well, wait a minute. Cyrus's first act, go search the historical books, 
His first act was to free the slaves. He didn't enslave any citizens of Babylon. He guaranteed their freedom. They loved him. The only thing that changed is they paid their taxes to Media Persia instead of the King Belshazzar, who was kind of a jerk at that point anyway. He was the guy where the writing appeared on the wall. So, and then in verse 15, you know, the scripture goes on, and, and he sa- the Lord says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine of the cup of my fury, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink. And they shall drink and be moved and become mad. And that's what's happening right now. The nations are losing it. They're turning insane. And if you think this is bad, just wait for summer when the quarantine continues because they've released multiple versions of new... You thought COVID-19 was bad? Where do you see COVID-2.0 and COVID-3.0? Which, by the way, the television news in Vietnam last week announced this was a bioweapon created by China to attack the United States, and they've got two more versions they're going to release. Now, is that the truth? I have no idea. I'm just telling you what was on the news in Vietnam. I I don't know how I get this information. But I know people who've got family in Vietnam, and they talk to them and tell them about the news. I guess that's pretty big news in Vietnam. But the Lord says, the nations will become mad because of the sword that I'll send them among them. And Jeremiah says, you know, I I took the cup, and, and I made all the nations drink whom the Lord sent me. And then Jeremiah goes down the list, and he starts with Jerusalem and Judah and the kings thereof and Pharaoh and Egypt, and, and the list just goes on. He lists 30 nations. 30 is the number of maturity or completion. And then at the end of the list, in verse 26, he says, in all the kings of the north, okay, the Lord's basically saying, uh, in case I didn't mention anybody, let's just... Let me just make this really clear. I want to send this judgment upon all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, and all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world? Wait a minute. I thought we were just judging the king of Babylon and that nation. Now we're judging the entire earth. Oh, wait. That's what happens at the end of the age. Right? Do I get that right? Does God judge the whole earth? Yeah, he does. And all the kingdoms of the earth, which are upon the face of the earth, and the king of Sheshach shall drink after them. Well, that's a reference to Satan. Sheshach is a mystical name for Babylon. So after God's done judging the entire earth, he's going to judge Satan as well. And then the scripture goes on and basically says, you know, prophesy against them. The Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. Amen. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout and they, as they tread the grapes against the inhabitants of the earth. Look, there were no grapes of wrath treaded when Cyrus took over Babylon. It was a nice day, people. Everybody was a little startled for a bit. What? Oh, there's a new king. We're fine. Go to work. Everything's good. Okay. Right? Took a little getting used to. But everything was fine. The slaves got set free. The Jews got set free. They're like, hey, well, what are we, you know, this is where we live. They didn't go anywhere right away. But they were all set free. Now the noise, a noise shall come even to the ends of the earth. I told you, when Cyrus 
took over ancient Babylon. The media Persian army crept in under the cover of darkness. After blocking the river, they walked under the wall. They were quiet like a church mouth. Now a noise will rise to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with the nations, and he will plead with all flesh. And he will give them that are wicked to the sword. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray you fulfill that prophecy in the very beginning of your judgment with respect to the wicked that have threatened and harmed all these innocent children, Lord. Give them to the sword. And thus saith the Lord, verse 32, evil shall go forth from nation to nation. Wait a minute. The first half of verse 12, God said, I'm going to judge the king of Babylon and that nation. Now we're judging nation to nation. Evil will go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coast of the earth, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth to the other. And they will neither be lamented nor gathered nor buried. They will be like dung on the ground. Howl, ye shepherds, and wallow in ashes, you pastors of the flock. For the day of your slaughter has come, and you will fall like a pleasant vessel. And the shepherds and the pastors will have no way to flee, nor shall the principle of the flock escape. And the peaceable habitations are cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord. So, okay, the judgment of God prophesied in Jeremiah 25 is split into two parts. The first part is the ancient city of Babylon under the rule of Belshazzar, and that was fulfilled in the year 19, or 50, 539 by Cyrus. The second half has not yet happened, but it too will occur following a similar 70-year reign of mystery Babylon at the end of the age over the nations of the earth. And Israel will also come under subjection or dominance. And during that 70-year period, all the nations of the world, they're going to work like slaves for end-time Babylon. Let me see. And, and end-time Babylon is going to run massive trade deficits and is going to import all the wealth of the world. And Babylon will pay for its trade deficit by just printing more Babylon bucks. The Federal Reserve will just monetize another trillion or two. And the whole world will use the Babylon dollar. And so we're here. So then the only question comes down to, well, when, when did the 70 years begin? Well, Israel was reinstated in 48. We know, everybody knows that. But was, had America assumed the role of leader of the world as, as end-time mystery Babylon in 1948? No, not yet. And what does it mean for the Chaldean kings who rule over end-time Babylon, what does it mean for them to rule for 70 years anyway? Well, if you go and do the homework, you'll find out that the Chaldeans never counted the year of their ascension to the throne as the years of their dynasty. The very first partial year in which they took control is recorded in their history as the year of ascension. And they only count full and complete years. So when was America crowned the de facto leader of the world? Well, you can go back and listen to the details, and there's a ton of it. Or I'm in the process of putting together a 
book that will capture all of this detail for you, and hopefully I'll get the book published before um, there's no point in reading it, right? I mean, it'll be interesting, but it won't tell you anything you don't already know because you're going to see it yourself in not too distant future. But to jump to the conclusion, America was crowned the leader of the free world in the signing of the NATO Treaty and the whole global government thing, the World Health Organization that's now trying to force its scientific religion of vaccinations on an unsuspecting humanity. It was created by the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers in 1948. And the NATO organization, which allowed America to assume political and military leadership over the Western democracies of Europe, it was created in 1949. And all the leaders of the free world came to observe the signing of the NATO Treaty in Washington, D.C. on April 4th, 1949, which was Nissan One in that year. And so the white horse came forward as the undisputed leader of the free world, a force for good, wearing a crown, recognized by everyone as the legitimate leader and robes of white, because we are the good empire, representing democracy and free vaccinations to improve the health of the children of the world. Yes, and we're going to stimulate world trade, but we're going to end up with all the wealth because the nations are going to work in sweatshops for peanut wages. What the American people don't even realize, because they don't understand economics, and they're never told any truth by either the media or the government, so they don't have a clue what's really happening on the planet. Most of the prosperity of our country was on the backs of slave labor. Who do you think picks all your produce? Oh, by the way, they weren't allowed into the country this spring, so they're not going to be there to plant or pick your produce this summer. So you weren't really thinking of eating, were you? Well, you might consider some long-term fasting because there's going to be a lot of opportunity for that very shortly. But, you know, it was these laborers that worked. The whole world works for America. You guys know that, right? And how do we get away with that? Well... In the early part, we were the only superpower. Europe was bombed into oblivion. Asia was a basket case. Japan was ruined. Africa wasn't even hardly civilized in most of it. And so the post-war era grew up around American military, political, and economic dominance. And nobody questioned it. And throughout the world, the citizens in Europe and in, and in Asia, they didn't have a dime to spend. Their homes were burned to the ground. Their money was worthless. The, the Nazi Deutschmark was thrown in the trash. A new currency was issued, but it wasn't just given out freely to the people. So the people were basically in total poverty. They starved in Europe for the first three or four years following the war. And America had the wealth, and so the nations of the world all, is their economic strategy, they built an export-based economy designed to sell their goods to the only really wealthy market in America. And so the nations became rich in their sales to, to the United States of America. And the rich men of the earth and the merchants and, and all of those men, right? Isn't that what it says in Revelation 18? And the mighty men, right? 
and all of the, the wealthy and the merchants that were made rich by their costly trade with Babylon, they're going to weep. And they're going to stand far off for fear of her torment. For all, the, you know, and, and look at Revelation 18. And after these things, I saw another agent come down from heaven. And he cried out with a mighty voice, Mystery Babylon is fallen, it's fallen, it, for it has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every evil spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And so she will be burned in one hour. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death, mourning, and famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire. Who's he going to put out the fire, the ones who survive the direct strike, many will die from the smoke. The fires will burn until the rain of winter or the snow comes. I mean, this is serious, what's about to happen. And they stood far off for fear of her torment, crying out, Alas, alas, the great nation-state, Babylon, America, the mighty nation, in one hour, thy judgment has come. So, you know, that's from Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 27, um, the Lord talks about redeeming the people in verse 21. Yes, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall remain until the day I visit them. So the, re the judgment of Babylon and the redemption of the people of God from their slavery is tied essentially to the visitation of the Lord. And that's the birth of the man-child. That's the, when the Lord comes in his people as God Almighty, which, you know, most Christians are like, they scratch their heads, like, what? God? In us? Wait a minute. Well, I have, I've got Jesus in my heart. Oh, you do, do you? Well, your God's done a great job of hiding the fact that he's been in the in the room, and in the world all this time. Because he's never really come out and introduced himself. But he's about to come down in an anointed remnant as the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he's about to introduce himself to a wicked nation that has become the habitation of every devil and foul spirit and unclean and hateful thing. And he is not coming to make s'mores. There's going to be a fire burning, but we're not going to sit around it and sing Kumbaya, children. It's going to be the fire of his judgment. And in that fire, he's also going to deliver and redeem his people. And that's the visit. So if you guys don't understand all that, go listen to the visit messages. Now, the scripture where this prophecy is again repeated is Jeremiah 29. And we love Jeremiah 29. Everybody quotes verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Now why is God telling his people, I, I know my thoughts for you, and my thoughts for you are peace, not evil. Why is, why is God making that point so clear? Because of what's happening down the street. Because he's got a different thought for the wicked. He's coming to judge the wicked. The Lord told me, I will protect that which is mine, and 
everything else will be destroyed. And, but, you know, we read this prophecy of Jeremiah 29, we read it totally out of context. We need to start in verse, well, really, you could start at the beginning of 29. And, um, you know, I'll start with verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets or your diviners or your YouTube teachers that are being introduced to you by all of these fake watchmen, do not be deceived by these false prophets, who in fact, many of which are witches and Satanists. That's why when you watch them, you get that weird feeling, oh, something's just not right. Yeah, no kidding, because it's the devil. Turn them off. Neither hearken to your dreams which you cause yourself to dream. Wow. God's telling you, don't listen to these false prophets and the many who came in my name to deceive the many. Don't even listen to your own dreams unless they're confirmed that they're from the Lord. For these all prophesy falsely unto you in my name, and I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Much of the watchman community don't even know the Lord. And yet they teach. It's astonishing. Same thing happened in the time of Elijah. Most of the prophetic community didn't know the Lord. They knew Baal or Ashtaroth. There were, what, 450 prophets of Baal and 600 and something prophets of Ashtaroth? And then there was Elijah and his servant. So we had like a thousand false teachers and one guy telling the truth. Well, that happened back then. What do you think the odds are that might be happening again? Many will come in the name of the Lord and deceive many. The word's polis. It means the vast majority. I would say, you know, technically it's probably 97 to 98.5%. So if you had 100 watchmen, you could maybe say, well, you know, two of them might be real. The other 98 you should probably just delete. Okay, enough on that. The prophecy of Jeremiah 29, we need to start at verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be completed in Babylon. Whoa, here we are again. After the 70 years are completed in Babylon, God's going to judge that nation. He's going to judge the king. And at the end of the age, after the 70 years are completed in Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, he's going to destroy that nation. It's going to become a perpetual desolation. In one hour it's going to burn. But the Lord says, but I'm coming to visit you. He's coming to judge them. But the Lord's coming to see you. You're his friend. He's not coming to set your house on fire. He's coming to visit you. And look what he says. And I'm going to perform my good word towards you. What, perf what good word is he performing? He promised he would save you. He's your redeemer. He's your strong tower. He's your deliverer. He's your salvation. He's your mighty king. He's your wonderful counselor. He's the mighty one. He's the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And he's coming to walk the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. And he's going to tread out the wine and the grapes of wrath upon the wicked in a judgment that has never been seen before. But the Lord's also, while he's here, you know, getting business done, cleaning up the garbage, right? He's going to burn the garbage, you guys. I mean, kind of, you know pretty straightforward way to describe it, but the Lord's taking out the trash and he's going to burn it in Gehenna. But 
for his own people, he's coming to visit you. He says, I'm going to perform my good work. He made you a promise. He's made us lots of promises. He's going to perform those promises, including the second exodus, and in causing you to return to this place. Whoa, wait. What place? <laughs> Greater Israel. What? We're moving? Yep, that's the second exodus, you guys. And notice the scripture doesn't say God's going to tell you to leave. It doesn't say he's going to ask you to leave. It doesn't say, you know, any of those things. It says the Lord's going to cause you to want to leave. Well, why is that? You'll see. <laughs> I mean, the place will be in utter desolation. Why would you stay? You wouldn't. You won't. And the second exodus will begin. And the really cool thing, Frank, is the Lord's going to be going with us. And so are the 144,000. Yeah, so the Lord and his anointed army will be, will be you know, protecting and, and, and ensuring the safety of his little remnant. And then he goes on and he says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not evil. That's not, you know, I, he, may, he may be a little upset with some of us, if, you know, for some sin areas that we haven't quite overcome or maybe we haven't, you know, completely dealt with at the cross, maybe we haven't fully repented, maybe we're still in a little bit of denial. So the Lord might have an issue or two with, you know, some of us, but he's not angry with us. He hasn't, for, he hasn't taken away his loving kindness and his grace. He knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us, and, he, and he's telling us, I'm thinking of thoughts of peace and not evil. I'm going to give you an expected end. What, what end are we expecting? We're expecting to be saved by Jesus. And he's promising, I'm gonna, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm coming to visit you, and I'm going to save you. And then you will call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me. Pray with a lot more intensity than you pray now. And you're going to find more time to pray than, than, you know, now you're really busy watching meaningless news and doing whatever you do. But then, in that day, you... None of those things will matter anymore. You will find time to pray. And the Lord says, you will go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I'll be found of you, saith the Lord, and I'll turn away your captivity and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, saith the Lord, and bring you again to the place from whence I caused my people to be carried away. And isn't it astonishing? The Lord says, you're going to seek me, you're going to search for me, and you're going to find me when you search with all your heart. No more idols. i got news for you. When this judgment goes down, all the idols are going to fall the same day. And believe me, when you see the time that is ahead coming to pass, you will suddenly find a new fervor of repentance. You'll find the ability to fast and pray. You will suddenly, the most important thing in your life will be finding the Lord. You will ha It'll be a matter of life and death for you to connect with your God. And you'll pray like your life is dependent upon it because it is dependent upon it. And the Lord says, when you seek me with all your heart, because your very life depends on it, I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I'll turn away your captivity. 
what captivity is he talking about? The captivity you're in to today. Oh, if you go talk to the Laodicean Christians, they're not in captivity. If you talk to the pre-truth Christians who are, you know, fixing on disappearing before any of this gets fulfilled in the in the church, they don't have any captivity. They just got delusional doctrines. The Laodiceans got no anointing at all. They just got all the money. Like that's going to help them now. Yeah. I was talking to a Laodicean a guy that's actually a friend of mine, and I think very highly of him. But he's very much a Laodicean Christian, very very wealthy. A guy I worked for years ago, and uh, and he was telling me, you know, down here, and you know, this is like you know, Wealthville, Southern Cal, you know, down here, people are used to getting what they want. <laughs> well, yeah, that's about to be over, bro. But anyway, he said people are used to getting what they want, and and we've made special arrangements to get those coronavirus tests down here, and we're getting, you know, it's like, dude. What good's the test? You need the healing. I don't need the test. I need the miracle-working God. I don't need to go and get some man to diagnose and make some declaration of death over me or whatever. I need to find the Lord. But the Lord says, and I'm going to gather you, and I'm going to turn away your captivity. The people are in captivity to sin. Now, in ancient Babylon, the people were in captivity physically. They literally had the chains of slavery on their bodies. And when Cyrus basically conquered Babylon, he set them free. Today, Israel and the church in America is in captivity spiritually. Now, most Christians don't know that. You know, I, because sin is deceitful. Their pride has deceived them. And so they've given ground to Satan. They don't even know it. And, you know, so they deny it. And, you know, look at the evidence. How do I know the church is in spiritual captivity? Look at the country. If the church was ruling and reigning in the power of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be in this mess. The church got overrun in the, in the 80s. The witches came in. Go read Psalm 74 if you don't believe me. I was there. I saw it with my eyes. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Julie Smith, and um, telling her about the church, what it was like in the spirit-filled churches in the early 1970s. And it was beautiful. I mean, you would walk into the, into the, into the building and the presence of God would be so profound, and the worship was almost like being in heaven itself. And, I mean, the freedom. And then all that began to change. You know, and, and I'm not sure a new team of pastors came in, or I, I'm not really sure why it changed. Because, you know, I had gone through my three years in the darkness, which began in, like, 19... 75, yeah, almost the fall, late fall 75, early 76, I had gone in, into, you know, what was my time of Babylonian captivity, and, and I guess the church kind of went with me shortly thereafter, although my version was radical. Um, <laughs> I guess that's true of a lot of stuff in my life. And, um, 
You know, the Lord didn't come and deliver me until three years later when he came to my house and asked me to pray about the babies that were being murdered in America. And I, I was all confused because I didn't even think I was saved. And, and so I'm like, Lord, you know, what do you want me to pray for? What is that going to do? Why don't you just get your church to pray? And I wasn't trying to be argumentative. I just was an honest question, you know. And, and when you ask an honest question of the Lord, generally, unless it's really a stupid one, which... I've done a few of those. God don't answer stupid. He just, you don't get an answer, and you'll figure it out later that, okay, that was a pretty dumb thing. But in this case, God answered me, and he said, I've asked my church to pray, and they won't pray. And I couldn't even comprehend that answer, and so I said, what's wrong with the church? And the Lord wouldn't answer that question. And was it my business at that time to understand that the church had begun to fall into captivity and, and wouldn't even pray at the request of the Lord? He'd ask the churches to pray. This was like 1978. Yeah. Um, yeah, late 78. God had asked the churches to pray. And they wouldn't pray. And now, I'm sure they would have denied it. You know, no, that never happened. Right, right. I'm sh- sure. Yeah, Jesus has got it wrong. You got it right. Mm, well, let's reverse that. You're wrong, and God's right. But the church stopped praying and fell into captivity, and they didn't even know it. And then after that came the false prophets, right? The false doctrines, the false teachers, the false anointing, the whole Kundalini devil thing showed up, all the strange doctrines, all the crazy teachings, and, and here we are today, with a church that still won't pray, for the most part, and a church that, to a great extent, refuses to also fast and pray. But that's exactly what we need to do. And, you know, uh, honestly, fasting and praying is a, a little bit uncomfortable, and I teach on it all the time, because that is the power, my friends. You know, if you want to defeat the devil in the lives of your family, if you want your children delivered from the sin bondages and the deceptions of Satan, you're going to accomplish that on your knees in times of fasting and prayer. And if you're in trouble and believe, you know, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but um, the whole country, our country's in trouble. The world's in trouble right now because the Chaldeans have begun the takedown. And so we need to respond in, in fasting and prayer. Uh, what What's our time check, um, Frank? Go ahead, brother. How are we for Go time? Ahead. We're good, man. We're good for a little bit? Yeah, we're fine. Keep on. So, trying to circle back, 1950, based on my careful study over a period of years, and I looked very carefully into the history, the American century began after World War II, and all the institutions of international government, all the institutions of the world government of the Antichrist, were all created in the 47, 48, 49 window. And the Chaldean deep state was literally in power in 49. 1950 was the first year of their rule, and if you start looking at what they did, by 1953 they created a completely new Supreme Court with the Warren Court, and it literally took the United States from a conservative Christian culture to a radical left turn, and within a decade, prayer was illegal, and they were literally 
the, the liberal insanity began. And the courts began to legislate an interpretation of law, and they became an out-of-control institution. And our founders would have never dreamed that the courts would go insane and literally to hijack our country. But that is exactly what happened under the reign of the Chaldeans. And they began to introduce the rebellion. And in 1950, the American people, they were tired of the Depression. They were tired of the war. They were tired of, you know, the rationing. We had almost at that point 20 years of hardship since the great crash of 2930. So the American people, they wanted to just have a good time. And they had all their money saved up from working in the factories during the World War II era because there was nothing to buy. Everything was rationed. So people stockpiled all their money, and the women came out of the factories, the men came back from the war, and um, tens of millions of people got married. Tens of millions of babies started showing up, and suddenly these brand-new families decided to buy a house, and the, the baby boom American economy boom began and it wasn't long before they you know during the 50s they just gave everybody a good time they brought out elvis and james dean and and you know but in 1950 as soon as they acquired power china attacked north along with north korea they attacked south korea they started a hot war in korea russia detonated the first hydrogen bomb and so there was a cold war with russia a hot war against china and a u.s defense study group came back and recommended that the American government begin radical deficit spending in order to fight a hot war on the Korean Peninsula and a cold war with the Russians. And a brand new pastor, a superstar pastor, was lifted up by the Chaldean-controlled media, and he started doing crusades all over America. And his message was, that the Cold War was a battle between the Antichrist, which were the communists, and Christianity in the West. And so we needed to support the government in the Cold War. And so, you know, he's literally preaching the propaganda message of the Chaldean deep state. And by the end of the 50s, they inserted the drugs and the rebellion, the kids that had grown up with the prosperity in the 50s were now the spoiled brat college students of the 60s and you know through in insertion of literally communist agitators and the chaldeans you guys the thing that's been so confusing to everybody the satanic elite are also the communists the leaders of of these global communist systems themselves are satanists and so the deep state who are the Reds, because they served the Red Dragon, they had compromised our government from inside, and they had already conquered Russia and, were in, and, had, and again had conquered China. And so this war was in many ways just orchestrated to begin the process of bankrupting our country and marching us towards the ultimate 70th year when they would begin the takedown not only of America Babylon, but the world. And so, you know, if you look at 1950s, the Chaldean, the, the beginning of the countdown of the Chaldean state, President Kennedy was killed in 63. That was the 13th year. Roe versus Wade was 
approved by the Supreme Court in 73. That was the 23rd year, 23 being the number of deaths. It became legal to murder babies and worship Molech in America in 1973. 2019 was the 69th year. And 69 represents the inversion and perversion of all of a culture, all of a people. And so by 2019, they had successfully divided and, and created irreconcilable conflict between the left and the right, between the atheists and, and, and the Christians, and between the different religious groups, and they brought in all this multiculturalism to destroy the unity of the nation and to set us up for the ultimate collapse. And by 2019, American culture and the historical American values, even Christopher Columbus, who when, when school kids were taught about Christopher Columbus in the 1950s and 1960s, he was a hero. He discovered America. We all loved him. Now, Christopher Columbus is a slave trader. He's a white supremacist. He's a, he's a you know, Islamic phobic, and he's a, you know, homophobe, and every other evil thing. There's nothing good about any of those European cultures, because they're all based on white supremacy. And I mean, literally, this is the value system that's been inserted into our culture, and, and all the young kids today that are, you know, have assumed socialism or communism is their political position and are basically radicalized on the liberal agenda, they've been enculturated and indoctrinated in, in basically a complete false version of history where, where the Western culture of Christianity and Western morality is viewed as a form of racism and white supremacy. Now, Martin Luther King... He was the, the hero of the civil rights movement. His famous quote was, don't judge me on my color, judge me on the quality of my character. But today, it's all about color. It's all about affirmative action. It's all about, you know, putting the white man down, and, you know, you've got to give these, all these minorities need special benefits. And so, you know, it's a complete, they have successfully perverted everything. Babylon has already fallen culturally, spiritually, financially, and now it's falling economically. They're tearing it apart. And it's not going to recover. This economic damage is almost in, you know, it's not re retrievable. It can't be repaired. So if 2020 is the 70th year, and I have been, you know, pounding the table on that. Now, if you go all the way back, I thought perhaps 2018 might be, because I, when I first started to try to put these pieces together, I was looking at the life of Israel. But the scripture also requires that the nations be under the reign of the Chaldeans for 70 years. They weren't in power yet. So how does the timeline of Israel fit in? Well, Israel was created in 48. We know from the prophecy that the, the life of the nation shall be 70 years, and if by reason of strength, it shall be 80. And the reference to strength is the Gabarim, which is Hebrew for the mighty ones, which is a description of the 144,000. And so if the 144,000 show up, Israel will survive to 80 years. And they're coming. And Israel will survive. And the 80th year would be 2028. So 
if the final seven years of human history end with the fulfillment of that prophecy in 2028, the final seven years will begin in the fall of 2021. So they're going to burn the weapons for seven years, so the world war has to be over uh, by 2021 at some point. And then the reconstruction of the world will begin. And so where might the world war fit in? Well, if America Babylon, if this is the 70th year, and it concludes the 70th year ends in, well, let me back up. How do we benchmark these prophecies? Do we use the Gentile calendar of January to December? Eh, throw that out. Do we use the biblical calendar uh, under the civil calendar of Rosh Hashanah in the fall? Or do we use the Hebrew biblical calendar, the spiritual calendar of Nisan in the spring? Or might some of these prophecies be using the Chaldean calendar? Could the rule of the Chaldeans be measured by the Chaldean calendar? I'm thinking there's a decent chance that's right. And then the prophecies pertaining to Israel be fulfilled by either the spiritual or the civil Israeli calendar. Should each people walk out their destiny according to their calendar? Why not? It's a reasonable, It's a good starting point for our analysis. So when is the Chaldean calendar? Well, their New Year's Day is spring. March 19. And the first three days, they have what they call their Burning Man Festival, where they burn human beings to ensure a successful harvest. These are really wicked, wicked people, these sorcerers. And so March 19 was the new year. It was the earliest spring in over 100 years. The last time spring came as early as 2020, which was March 19. It was 1896. Well, now that's an interesting year. That was the first year of the Olympics. And this Olympic year is the 32nd. If you didn't know the Olympics are a satanic ceremony, go Google for yourself the torch lighting ceremony for the Tokyo Olympics. There's a two-hour video online. The first hour is a bunch of boring speeches. You can skip that. Roll forward at the point where the 33 witches come out. And they begin calling down Satan, who they call Apollyon. And then they use their circular mirrored orb to capture the sunlight and ignite the torch, bringing the light of Lucifer down to the ground, down to the earth again. And then they all bow to the fire. For the, and then they've got the ritual, this fire god among us, bearing a palm branch of peace. Yeah, well, he's a liar. He's bearing death, destruction. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But so March 19 was the New Year's Day, and the first three days are, are a satanic festival known as the Burning Man. I'm not talking about the drunk fest in the Mojave Desert in August. I'm talking about on the satanic calendar. March 22nd this year was when the lockdown began. Go look it up on Wikipedia. The entire world was basically locked down from March 19 through March 22nd. A few nations, March 23rd. A couple were a little bit slow. Um, you know, let's see, Panama locked down March 25. Okay, they're a couple days late. The whole world locked down at the beginning of the new Chaldean year. So in the 70th year of the reign of the Chaldeans over Mystery Babylon, 
they are locking down the earth and they are destroying the freedom and the economic prosperity of the nations of the world. The distribution channels are collapsing. We're going to have massive food shortages come summer. We're also running out of CO2. I'm not sure why they're turning off that production line. That's used to produce beer. So those of you that are beer people, you might want to get some beer because you're going to be out of beer in the near future. But during the summer, if the pandemic comes back, if there's virus 2.0 and everyone's ordered into their houses, there's not going to be any beer. And if the power were to go off, there won't be any air conditioning either. Now think of that world. Everybody ordered to quarantine in place in the high-rise apartment buildings in New York City, and the power is off, and it's 120, 130 degrees in the apartment. And the availability of alcohol and cold beer has exhausted. And there's no food in the stores, and the money's no good. What do you think, are the people going to line up and have protests? No. The pretext for martial law will occur in the streets. The cities will begin to burn. And then the civil war that Dudeman prophesied. Ruler against ruler and violence in the land. The very end of Jeremiah 51. And then by the fall of 2020, we'll enter the window for for the judgment under Ezekiel 38, because that event has to take place in the fall. And we know ancient Babylon fell on October 12th, and if you roll the globe around at that exact moment in time, it was October 11th in the good old North American continent. So, you know, it's always been my just sort of guess that um, Battle of Ezekiel 38 will take place on October 11th, which in 2020 is a Sunday. It's also Simchat Torah, which is the celebration of having completed the Word of God. The Word of God is now finished. Boom! It's going to get loud. Now, nobody believes me. You know, nobody believed me when I told them 2020 would witness the beginning of the judgment. You know, at first people are like, hmm, we bombed Iran, but that kind of subsided. And then Kobe Bryant was killed in a satanic ritual sacrifice. Do the research yourself if you don't believe me. And that dominated the news for two weeks, and we all forgot about the crisis in Wuhan. And then in the middle of February, they sprung this thing on us, and, in, and it became a serious problem in, in early March. And then they locked down the nation in the first days of their Chaldean New Year. Now, under the biblical calendar, the month of Nisan began, I think, on March 26th. And so... You know, we're in our countdown now. We've passed through Passover and First Fruit, and we are looking forward to the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot. And we are in the countdown of the Omer, which is the Feast of Weeks. And following the Passover, we then begin counting from the day after the Sabbath. And we are now in... The second week? Let me just check my little calendar here, guys. Um, Passover was on the 9th. The first Sabbath was the 12th. Um, yeah. So, uh, or pardon me, the 11th, the second Sabbath. 
So the um, the seventh day of the Omer was the 18th, so we're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Oh, perfect. God's government. We're on the 12th day of the count of the Omer. We're going to count 49 days, which is seven Sabbaths, and the next day will be Pentecost. And that's the day when the Lord comes down. That's the day when Moses was called up to Mount Sinai and the Lord came down. He stood on the mountain and it, and it melted like wax. And Moses stood there and watched the rocks begin to flow like wax under the feet of the Lord. Well, he's coming down again and the mountains are going to melt. The same date, the count of the Omer, in Pentecost, following the death and resurrection of the Lord, the Lord was with the disciples for 40 days and appeared to many, even to 500 at one point in Jerusalem, and then was ascended into heaven on the 40th day of the Omer. And, and he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you are covered or imbued with power. And so the disciples took the opportunity to gather in the upper room, and, and the, for the next 10 days they fasted and prayed. And on the 50th day in the morning at 9 o'clock, a whirlwind came. A mighty wind came. And tongues of fire appeared. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles. And the church age began. So the Lord came down this time in the Holy Spirit. Well, the Lord's coming again. Only now he's coming as God. He's coming himself in his people. Which... I don't know why that is so troubling to the church, because we were all taught we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Nobody ever expected, though, that Jesus would one day say, you know what, I'm God, excuse me for a moment, but I'm going to introduce myself to these people who've been mocking my name and violating my law and have been hurting my children, and I've got a few things for them. And that's what's going to happen and the mighty ones that are about to be anointed without measure. So I'm thinking this, for those of you that want to participate, I'm thinking this count of the Omer, which, you know, today's day 12, we've got um, four weeks, no, six weeks left, roughly. We should all be pressing in in prayer, and, and to the extent we can, in fasting. You know, whatever your prayer commitment was, it, it should be greatly increased. I would I recommend doubling it. Whatever your ability to fast was, I would recommend increasing it. And then for the final 10 days, I would recommend we all gather in the upper room by the Spirit of God. And we wait, and we seek the Lord, and we, and we have the solemn assemblies of the book of Joel, and we look for the mighty one because, you know, this particular Pentecost could be one that changes the destiny. If it's not this Pentecost, it'll be the feast days of the fall that are going to be astonishing. What I find fascinating, though, Frank, in looking at the stars, and, um, you know, I woke up a few days ago in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m., and, and I thought, you know, I'm just wide awake. I'm going to go outside and look at the sky. And what I saw was so ominous, I ran back in, loaded up my Starry night star chart software, and I had to look at the stars because they are ominous. I began to study the night sky, and um, the signs are there for the war that is coming. 
the, the signs and the stars are heralding the judgment of the earth. They're also heralding the deliverance of God's people. You guys, we're not the people that are in trouble. You know, if we're willing to repent, if we're seeking the face of God, if we're trying our, you know, as best we can to honor the Lord, to follow his word, and you know what, none of us is worthy, so don't let the enemy lie to you about that. You know, I feel the same as you. How did I get saved? How did this awesome God choose me to be a friend, right? I mean, all of us feel that way, really. How did we get saved? But, Frank, in, in looking at the stars, I found a comet that is coming, and there's several. The comet Atlas, in that final week of May, is going to be awesome in the night sky. I mean, it's going to be scary how big it is. And another comet is going to streak across the sky in the month of May, and it cuts across the constellation of the two fish of Pisces, cutting the tie that binds the fish to the sea beast which represents Leviathan, the beast of the sea. And those, the two ropes or ties that bind the two fish to the beast nature of the enemy, that's the bondage of the flesh. That's the spiritual bondage that the people of God are in right now. This comet is going to cut that rope completely, and then this rock that God threw from heaven continues on, towards the constellation Perseus, which is the constellation known as the Rescuer. And Perseus is a warrior with full battle armor, coming with a sword in his right hand, and in his left hand he's holding the head of the woman Medusa, which he's already cut off. And that's the, the devil woman whose hair was nothing but snakes. He's holding her by the hair and in the forehead of Medusa there's the star Al Gore or well Al Gore's name's actually kind of named after the star. The star is Al Ghul or Al Gol and it means the star of Satan. Um, you know I'm sure that star Al Ghul is in the center of the forehead of Medusa. That comet is going to hit the head of that wicked image in the center of the forehead, literally in the star that represents Satan. It's as if God is throwing or firing out a stone from heaven, much like King David swung a stone at Goliath, and it planted right in the forehead, killing him dead. God is going to kill Satan dead in the lives of his people. We got deliverance coming, and guess, guess what? day that stone hit Satan in the forehead. May 20th, the beginning of the final 10-day countdown to Pentecost. And then the comet goes on and into the final constellation before it leaves, which represents literally the holding up of the universe. It's going to bring the house down. And that's really a good metaphor for the day of the Lord. The Lord's about to bring the house down. We're not going to rebuild Babylon. We're not making Babylon great again. We're not going to reopen Babylon. We're not going to restore Babylon. We're bringing it down. But the Lord is going to deliver his people. And this 70-year prophecy is coming to pass. The 
the pandemic that has turned into the complete takedown of our country is not going to stop. And the economic damage is already irreparable. Frank, if you could put up on our notes the link to the Martin Armstrong piece, for people that care to hear that detailed economic analysis, it's astonishing. I mean, the, the level of losses are already too great. And our Treasury Secretary said we're going to keep the economy closed until summer? <laughs> when the food shortages and, and the beer shortages and the power outages and the extreme high temperatures are hitting the cities? That's when we're going to try I'll, to restart it. I'll definitely put that up. Benjamin also wanted to mention about that com- comment. Um, they say you'll be able to see it with the naked eye by about mid, oh, yeah. mid-May um, in the east uh, at dawn. So I, I guess that's from the U.S. I'm looking through here, but um, possibly right anyway, it's it's, uh, it's going to be, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is God's making it visible so that you can actually see it, meaning you don't have to have a telescope. You can actually witness this thing. Right. So the 70 years of Babylon, when are they completed? You know, when did the 70 years of Babylon get completed? That's really the million-dollar question. And, you know, um, Jeremiah 29, for thus said the Lord, when the 70 years are accomplished, you know, and that literally means fulfilled. Let me just look at that verse for you guys. Um, it's the word malah. It means to be filled or, or to be full up to be confirmed, to be accomplished, to be completed. You know, when did the 70 years of Babylon get completed? Well, if we're using the Chaldean calendar, and this is the 70th year, by the spring of 2021 is year 71. So Babylon is 70 years old right now. And so the judgment has begun. Now, you know, I talked to, I've got a couple of friends that are, you know, Bible teachers, and they write books and stuff. And, you know, I've been telling these guys, I mean, I've been pounding the table with them for the last year. It's going to start in 2020. It's the 70th year of Babylon. This is it, guys. We're not waiting. And, oh, by the way, the 80th year of Israel is is 28, and the final seven years of of history takes us to 21. So they've got to start burning those weapons by the fall of 21. So when is when is the nuclear strike? When is the invasion, and when is our visitation in the beginning of the second exodus? I'd say it's all going to fit in here in the very near future pretty quick. We'll find out. And if, you know, this whole pandemic just resolves and the annihilation of our economy somehow is magically erased, and right, and, and everybody, you know, goes back to, to the happy life that they were, I'm just going to, you know, pack it up. Go to the beach, I guess. I don't think that's happening, my friend. My own expectation, and I'm not a prophet, so you know, don't hang that on me. I reasoned this through based on the, my study of scripture and history. But you know, this is just my opinion. I think that this is the 70th year of Babylon, and I think this bioweapon that got released is just the beginning of the Great War. And I've got some friends in the military that are saying the exact same thing. And they didn't get it out of Bible prophecy. They got it out of the Pentagon. 
And the Chinese government and the Russian government have told their people, and this is public knowledge, the United States military released this bioweapon inside China right after the Wuhan military games, which were a, a form of the uh, an Olympic contest of just military athletes that took place in October of 2019. And so China and Russia blaming us as a pretext for attacking America in war. And of course, Trump has just given authorization for the U.S. Navy to fire on Iranian gunboats that continue to harass our ships, and Iran has said that they will retaliate and sink our naval vessels. So you know, we could have a war with China, and Kim Jong-un might pass any day now, but his sister is the next in line to assume the throne, and she's twice as wicked as he is. The wonderful is family. Beijing. Anyway, huh? A wonderful family. Yeah. Um, Chaldeans, to be sure. And so this is all set up. My you know, personal guess is this thing's going to spiral worse and worse if war starts with China. If they attack Taiwan. And we have three carrier battle groups that are not on the sea right now. They're in sick leave, sitting in Guam, or other forward bases in the Pacific Theater. We do not have a carrier battle group inside the Pacific region today. We have two that are in the Indian Ocean that are appointed basically to watch the Middle East, but we don't have anything else. And those ships are not going to be recommissioned anytime soon. We could not stop China from taking Taiwan today. And if war starts with Iran or war starts with China, or war starts with Korea, war will start with all three in not too much time. And so we'll be in the midst of a pandemic and in the beginning of what will become a world war. If that war starts this summer, in the next, whatever, several months, four or five months from now, it could start next week, it could start June, it could start in August, that war starts with China and they're shooting missiles at our Navy and we're firing cruise missiles at their military bases and both sides have their finger on the nuclear button but have not yet launched an ICBM strike on each country if you live in any of the major cities of the east or the west coast you should leave if you live in southern California you should leave if you live in Seattle or San Francisco, you should leave. You should be out of New York. You should be out of the major seaboard cities. And they're actually probably going to be pretty scary by summer anyway. You probably will have already moved. But, you know, if the war starts in, in a few weeks, you should leave. Go rent yourself a house in, in, in an inexpensive part of the country that is likely to survive what is ahead of us. You don't want to be in a city that's going to get hit with nuclear weapons. You don't want to be on the seaboard when Chinese troops are going to be offloading from their transport ships. You do not want to be captured by the Chinese military. You know, if you're too old, they're going to kill you. And they're very economical. They will not waste the money on a bullet. That's too high a cost. Instead, they will use you for bayonet practice. 
if you're younger and still uh, have good, you know, several years of slave labor left in you, they will take the men into slavery, and if the women are attractive, they will take them for attractions. You do not want to be among these people that get captured. Americans will be literally transported and sold on the slave markets of Asia. It's in Jeremiah 25. I read it previously. So, um, this one last scripture I want to I want to mention to you guys. Job in in voicing his complaint for the terrible trial that he went through. And I mean, and, and our dear brother Job, I, I think we would all agree, Job suffered. You know, Job went through a fire that few people have seen. And it was, I mean, pretty rough on Job. But in um, Job chapter 23, he says, I have not gone back on his commandments. You know, Job is sort of defending himself, saying, I don't know why this happened to me. And then he says, and I esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job held God's word in a higher esteem than the food he needed just for strength. Which is Job's way of saying, I was fasting and praying about this. Now, I would just make the comment that, you know, in talking to large numbers of Christians today, particularly here in the United States, I would have to say that a large number of Christians in America esteem the food of the Antichrist corporations more than the necessary word from God. Mm, mm. People are not willing to put away their corporate food. They're addicted to the chemically altered sugar compounds, the high fructose corn syrup and, and the excess salt content and the, the hit that these foods give you are quite addictive and you know and, and Christians large scores of Christians I was asking a good friend of mine who's you know one very you know on on um, f- focus with end times and um, has quite a bit of insight in fa- end times and has done even a few YouTubes about end times and I asked him I said you know how many how many Christians are fasting do you think right now almost nobody how many of the watchman community fast and pray on any basis? He's like, you know the answer to that. It's none. Well, when Job was in trouble, he esteemed hearing from God as more valuable than the food that was necessary for his own strength. Now, I know some people chafe at fasting, you know, and I mean, I've heard it all, you know, I'm too thin, I'm too thick, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too weak, I'm too strong, I'm hypoglycemic, I'm whatever. Um, You guys, everybody can do the Daniel fast, which is you cut out the meats, fish, chicken, gone. Breads, gone. Cakes, cookies, pleasant food, gone, gone, gone. The only thing you're allowed to eat for three weeks is vegetables, raw, organic is best. I mean, you can steam them and cook them, but I, you know, eat all the vegetables and fruits and nuts. And that actually is a detox diet that will cleanse your mind and will improve your ability to 
hear the Word of God and will also provide you with your necessary energy level. You'll still be able to function at your job or, or in your responsibilities that require you to have energy because a full-on water fast really does result in periodic energy loss and you know you there are things you just can't be doing if you're if you're doing a complete water fast you've got to be sort of at home huh wait that's all of us and you can't be doing a lot of outdoor exercise wait that's illegal now wait a minute god set up a perfect window of time for all of us to fast and pray oh that's awesome so what are we doing binge watching netflix that's what a lot of people are doing. Go look at the Fortune magazine on Netflix. All the executives in Netflix were on the cover of Fortune magazine. They're all witches. You're binge-watching the entertainment prepared by the witches. You're plugged into the Chaldean programming. We need to turn off the Chaldean programs. We need to get rid of the witches. And, you know, um, I was looking at a scripture in Matthew, and um, I wish I had it at my fingertips. I, was, I could share it. But Paul was bringing commendation uh, for two servants that were going to go with him on a missionary trip. And the church had written letters, you know, testifying these two guys. I, I don't remember the name. I think Silas was one of them. These two guys are godly servants, and you should receive them as men of God. And then the scripture went on and said, For these men have hazarded their lives for the word of the Lord. And, you know, and today, people just are, they just come forward on Facebook, you know, and they can be like complete witches. And half the Christian church is like, Really? Satan would con- turn into an angel of light? Never even thought of that. He might come among us to deceive us. Are you, are you kidding us, Baruch? Come on. The devil wouldn't join the church. Are you kidding? He's overrun the church at this point. What I'm trying to warn you of is there's a lot of witches, okay? I've had to run off scores of them. I mean, they just keep coming at me, you know, but I'm, I'm getting better at discerning them quickly now. Everything confirmed by prayer and by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. No more assumptions. And Frank, I know we've probably gone way too long, so we need to wrap this, but we should do a program on spiritual warfare. We should do a program on the new... Um, what's, the, what's the military term for operational practices when you're in a combat zone? What do they call that? The... Um. Order of battle or something like that, or you know what? Ex- how exactly do the troops operate? What are the rules of engagement? Somebody was asking me today. I need to know the rules of engagement. I need to know exactly how to engage the enemy because this stuff's getting serious, and we do. We need we need training in the rules of engagement in the spiritual war that we're in. Because this is not your father's Oldsmobile, and this is not the world that you lived in a year ago. Most of us assumed it was the world we lived in a decade ago. It's long since changed. We're just a little late to the sky to figure it out. So, um, are there, 
any other questions, Frank, or do you think I connected the dots? No, I think that that is a is a good history of where we are, where we're at. And folks, I, I believe you need to really take some time to think about, um, you know, a moment of pleasure versus a lifetime of being in eternity with Jesus. And there's really nothing in this world worth missing out on being with the Lord. And and the reason I say that is because there are so many distractions, so many things pulling us away. And if you could only foresee, literally look right at the future, which you can in the Word, but if if God could just show you a movie of what's coming, you would weep uncontrollably. You wouldn't be able to move paralyzed with fear if you could actually see what's coming. And and the best thing you can do right now is just simply to hide yourself in Him. Under His wings, ready to go. And and then when it takes place, you're already under His wing. And when you're under His wing, that means He's leading you and guiding you through to the very end. And all the things that Benjamin's talked about and warned about and spoke about and, and, and all these things... It's not to cause fear and panic, but to, but simply to draw close to God. If you believe in the second exodus and, and, and that the Lord will be leading us to wherever you know He may decide, you you know you have your thoughts. I believe where I, I think where I I believe where we'll be ending up, but I don't know the exact path that the Lord might lead each one of us. But the fact is, is that I need to have ears to hear, and then the grace to listen and obey. And that's always been my prayers. Lord, not only do I want to hear, but Lord, give me the ability to listen and to do what you say. I don't want to trust. I'm so thankful for Peter's example when he thought he could stand on his own. And he said, Lord, I'll never deny you. And yet when the moment came, he did. And he taught us all a wonderful lesson. Don't ever trust your flesh. And if you were ever living at a moment in time where you should come, well, that should be your motto. Never trust my flesh. It should be right now. And the way you don't trust your flesh is you crucify it in the prayer closet. Fasting, seeking the Lord's face. He will take that flesh out. And then the things that Benjamin say, they're not fear. They're not, it's not to scare you, but it's to prepare you. And knowledge is a powerful thing if it leads you to the one who gives knowledge, and that's the Lord. And so, folks, keep looking up. Benjamin, it's, it's not going to be much longer. We're, this thing, we're going to be around the sea of glass one day. Yeah, we, we are. We don't need a remnant call. You won't have to worry about GMO <laughs> foods when you're We'll have to have like a remnant call reunion, though. Exactly. In heaven. And, I'll, and all I'll, the people we'll that listen to remnant them. call will have to come and... And we'll get to meet all the listeners. That'll be a blessing, bro. Yeah, exactly. And the fruit from the tree of life will be so delicious and unadulterated as we sit around rejoicing in all the good things that the Lord has done. And and then the cool things, folks, is when you see that person that you never knew that you had an impact on that comes up and says, you know, that thing you said years ago, it made a difference in my life. And I've seen it happen. It's folks that the things I never thought would have ever made a change in somebody's life, to hear them later say, you know what, when you said that to me one day, man, that, there was a seed that was planted. And we're all going to sit around together one day 
and see the glorious things, man. It's going to be amazing. And and this thing's going to be over. And then it I just it's so wonderful. That's why Paul couldn't even explain it. It was unlawful for him because there's nothing in this earth that can describe the good things God has for us. It's not going to be much longer. Benjamin, thank you so, so Frank, much. I think, yeah. while, while we're just wrapping up, I just get an email, right, mm-hmm. on a, um, a, video, a documentary that just, got a, just came out like five minutes ago. The Coming War on China. And if you remember, Dimitri Dudeman was told by the angel, when America goes to war with China... At the right time, the Russians will double-cross America and strike from behind, and Babylon will fall. And so here we are. Here we are. The war with China will precede Ezekiel 38. If the war with China starts this summer, you start moving, folks. You know, and if you don't know where to go, just pray. I mean, it's, you know, obviously... You should maybe move to the states that have a huge percentage of Christians in them. And, and there's a few that are that way. Texas is good. Idaho is good. Montana is good. Stay out of the blue states. They're not good. And, and part of the issue is simply the laws themselves. But, you know, Frank, when I, as, as I try to, to pound the table that 2020 was the 70th year of Babylon, I got, like, no traction anywhere. And... When um, when the whole Corona thing started, I had this flash revelation, and I called Jeff Nyquist. I go, Jeff, I I just got this revelation. It's a bioweapon, and it's designed to destroy the economy. And it's the nations are all going to quarantine, and the economy's going to get ruined. And once the nations quarantine, they're going to release more deadly versions of the bioweapon, and it's going to lead to it's going to lead to war with China and World War Three. And he got all mad at me. This was like in January. He started yelling at me, you don't know any of that. <laughs> well, no, I don't know it. I just had the revelation. You know, and it could be, I could be wrong. You know, I'm, I don't claim to be infallible at all. I'm like, okay, you know, he got all mad at me. And then about two months later, he calls me up. Okay, it's been confirmed. It's a bioweapon <laughs> designed to destroy the economy. Uh, it's forcing the nations to quarantine. Russia and China have fully quarantined, locking up their borders. That's very troubling because it indica- they've even stopped all imports into their country, which means they planned this in advance and pre-positioned all their uh, imports that they need to operate with a completely sealed border. The only reason they would do that is they're probably planning on releasing more deadly pathogens in the near future. And yes, we are going to war with China. And it's probably later this year. And so I, I go, okay, Jeff, well, you know, that's kind of what I told you um, back in January when you got all mad at me. And he's like, well, but we didn't know it then. I'm like, okay, we didn't know, that's for sure. I said, so um, do you now recognize that my insight into the Scripture regarding the 70th year of Babylon is proving correct? No, I'm just going to say you got lucky. <laughs> so I said, all right, that's cool. Uh, yeah, call me. I'll, I'll go with that. I, I, I'll take that as a yes, Jeff. That's what I told him. I mean, I love Jeff Nyquist. You know, he's he is such a wonderful person. He really, he's really a delightful he's a person. Smart, he's a ma- smart guy. 
he's a brilliant guy. I mean, I love just listening to him. He's, and he really knows his homework. And, and, you know, he's really an analyst, so he doesn't go with, you know, he doesn't go with, uh, I had a revelation or I had a dream or any of that stuff. But, you know, I mean, I tell him every now and then, I go, Jeff, you, you, you do remember, right, that I'm the guy that had the dream in the summer of 2001, and I saw America attacked by commercial airplanes from United and American, and I saw two United and two American, and, and I told you six weeks before 9-11 we were about to be attacked by our own airlines, and it would start a big war, and the war would never end until it escalated into World War III, and then I saw the nuclear strike on the West Coast, and I was catching the fallout in my hands. Remember, and I described the fallout to you perfectly, and, and you asked me, have I ever attended any atomic tests? And nope, not, that's not been knocked off my bucket list yet. And... Um, and you wondered why I had described the fallout perfectly. But you dismissed my, you know, my, I told him, Jeff, I, I don't understand it, but we're going to be attacked by United and American Airlines. And he's like, you know, that just sounds crazy. And he completely dismissed it until six weeks later on the morning of 9-11. And when the first plane hit, bang, he realized, okay, I had told him four of them, and there would be two from United. And the first United plane, Flight 11, had already hit. And He's like, all right, there are probably going to be three more, and there sure was. So I don't know why people would get all mad at me when I come back with some more insight, you know? I mean, how many other people were warning about an attack on America using commercial airplanes in the summer of 2001, right? I mean, I don't know too many. How many people were shouting up and down on the housetops, the 70th year of Babylon is about to come upon us, and oh, wow. Has, Frank, let me just ask one final question. Did the 70th year of Babylon disappoint you yet? Are you, are you thinking it's doing pretty good so far? No, we're, we're just getting we're, going, we're pretty, too. You, yeah, it's just getting started, it feels like. It's just getting going, bro. Wait till the food runs out in the summer. And wait till the, the, you know, they've given out enough stimulus money, the middle class, the lower class, the people who, I mean, can you imagine the people who, they cut hair, they were a waiter. I mean, you know, th- th- this is a third of the American economy. Those people are all out of work. They're not getting paid. They're not paying their rent. They're not paying their credit cards. Okay, great. That works for a month. They're going to get a stimulus check. You know, the married families are going to get 2400 Okay. You know, that'll cover the food for a month or two, right? That'll get you through May, June. Well, what do we do? Yeah, and w- and then what do we do when the food is not there in the grocery stores? I mean, they already made the toilet paper disappear, and you know I think that was almost more like a joke than anything. You know what I find hilarious too, Frank? Ninety mm-hmm. percent of the toilet paper manufactured in the United States is produced in Idaho. So I tell my friends, we're the toilet paper state. <laughs> <laughs> we got, we've got the paper mill down the street where all that toilet paper is made. The local Costco guy couldn't get any toilet paper through their normal distribution channels, and he was friend with friends with the guy that runs the paper mill. So he called him up. He's like, "Hey, can I get some toilet paper direct?" They're like, "Yeah, no problem. We'll send a little over." The guy sent five semi trailers full. So the Costco in in Lewiston. Idaho in Clarkston, Washington, <laughs> has mountains of toilet paper. <laughs> and, 
and the guy at Costco's like, what am I supposed to do with all this Anyway, there you know what there are some funny parts to the story here. Um, no, I, I, my friend the other day sent me something. He said I used to spin that ro- toilet paper roll like I was on the wheel of fortune. Now I turn it like I'm cracking a safe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, anyway, That's great. well, praise well, God, you know, the Lord is running, coming for just our salvation. Yeah, I'm amen. Sorry. He is. I said we just got a few minutes before it ends here. Uh, Yes, the Lord is coming, folks. It's it, may remember we mentioned it the other week. This earth is our hell because heaven is waiting. But for the unbeliever, this is their heaven because hell awaits. Look up, our redemption is drawing nigh. It won't be long when you will see the eastern sky rolling back like a scroll. Lo, this is our God. You were saying he's come to save us. Yeah, it's thank God. you, Jesus. It's coming. And all every oh, worry, wait. every care, every th- everything will be gone. When you see that happen, oh, my. But for the unbeliever, that will not be good. will not be good for them. It's going to be awesome, brother. Yeah. You know what? I would also um, encourage our listeners, you guys, if you are people that pray, um, Please pray for Frank. Pray for me. You know, like that scripture text in where Paul was referencing two other servants of the Lord. He said, these are men that have hazarded their lives to minister to you. I mean, we are risking our lives. And that's not a metaphor. They've already attempted assassinations. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Others, maybe not. You probably don't want to know. But what Frank and I are doing is not without risk especially in a time like this, and uh, and to call out the deep, you know, state satanic elite by name, okay? I mean, we bring you the truth, and we don't fear, you know, we're not trying to save our lives. We're, we're willing to tell the truth, even at the risk of our death. But we really would appreciate you guys if you would pray for us as well, because the enemy would sure like to shut us up. And there's no more permanent way to shut you up than to kill you. Amen. Well, folks, God bless you. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up tonight. Please keep stay tuned. Don't worry. Fear is not from the Lord unless it is the fear of the Lord. That's what's from Amen. God. But the fear right. of what's coming, that's from the devil. You want to get away from that fear, seek the Lord. So with all that, this is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom.